Welcome to the Happy Nervous System Podcast. I'm your host, Kendra Delahook. What we know about mental health is rapidly changing, and I help you stay up to date on the major paradigm shifts from dating to love to parenting. Get ready to learn about your body, regulate your nervous system, and improve your life and relationships with ease. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the Happy Nervous System podcast. I'm so excited to introduce our guest today, Mary Kay Cucharo. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist who's extremely talented and specializes in working with couples. She has advanced certification in couples counseling in Imago Relationship Therapy and Encountered Centered Couples Therapy. With over 35 years of experience, she has helped many, many couples reconnect to peace and joy in their relationships by overcoming exhausting patterns of conflict. She also happened to be my supervisor when I was still in the process of being licensed, so I'm forever grateful for the wisdom you have taught me, and I'm so thankful and excited to have you on today, so welcome. Well, thank you, Kendra. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's always a good thing when the student kind of outruns the teacher. So (laughs) very, very proud of your work and what you've learned and what you're doing. And I'm so happy to be here with you today. So sweet. So sweet. Well, I'm I'm definitely following in your footsteps. So it says a lot about you. So today, I can't wait to talk about everything couples. Um, A lot of couples tune in to the podcast So there's a few different topics I want to cover, but to start us off, since you've been in practice and and working with clients for 33, 34 years, I am curious if you could share what are the top reasons couples reach out to you for help? Yes, um, I'm happy to share that. You know, just a little background. I I started, you know, when I hear that number 35 years, it kind of scares me about how old I am. (laughs) But it's true. You know, I started out uh, in the state of Texas, where I was a licensed professional counselor working in a child guidance clinic. And most of the cases that we saw there were very uh, dire cases uh, that were referred by court systems where children were being neglected or abused. And it was brutal. It was very meaningful, but very difficult work. And what I found was most stressful about it is that we would have um, some influence over the children for an hour or two per week, but we were sending them back to parents who by and large had terrible relationships, didn't know how to parent, didn't know how to honor the space between them. And so they were creating a lot of toxicity in the home that the child was absorbing and becoming symptomatic. And I realized, about five years into that, that I really wanted to be able to speak to the adults. I didn't just want the child in the room. And so when I came to California, um, and that was 31 years ago, I started uh, getting advanced certifications in working with couples because one of the deep theoretical points of the work that I do is that in the space between a husband and a wife or any two people that are in an intimate relationship, really, their relationship lives. And if they're not aware and don't have the tools to nurture that space and to make it sacred, then they will accidentally pollute it. And over time, pollution becomes toxicity. 
and children are often growing in that toxic relationship. So I really began to shift my practice toward only seeing couples. For a while, I saw families. So rather than just the child by themselves, I started bringing the whole family in and then eventually just morphed. I'd say in the last 25 years, my practice has really just been with couples. Now, today, when I get calls for couples counseling, Kendra, um, people say they want to resolve conflict, they're fighting a lot, they're arguing too much, or conversely, the energy has gone dead, they're not communicating at all. It's just they're living parallel lives without a lot of connection or intimacy. So either of those two things are what's most typical when people make a call to a couples counselor. Okay, so so definitely communication challenges, but then also the opposite, like a lack of communication, lack of intimacy. Right. So we either not communicating at all, we're just, you know, covering the basics and and being a functional relationship, but not a very intimate one. Or we're trying really hard to talk about important things that we might disagree about, but we're doing it in a way that's creating a lot of escalation and a lot of disruption in the connection. Okay. Yeah, so I talk a lot about the body and the nervous system and really rethinking behaviors and problems and symptoms. And the topic of communication for me comes up. I, I work with a lot of parents and children and there's just so much that is unseen. And I, I would even say subconscious in the pattern of communication. And one thing I appreciated so much um, when you gave me supervision was diving deeper into um, ECCT, the couple's work a beautiful model that really speaks to the importance of slowing down and really bringing safety into communication. So I'm wondering if you could share maybe a few myths about communication or a a few reasons why it's so important to slow down and create that safety. Right. Yes, that's a good point. You know, a lot of people, when they say we don't communicate well, they they forget that communication isn't just talking. Communication is listening. And most people don't listen very well. What we do is we listen to another person to the point where they have said something that triggers us or triggers some disagreement in us. And then if we're really polite, we will wait until they're finished to start our argument. But most of the time we just interrupt. So this is what I see when couples first come in. They they are having a communication issue, which for the most part is a listening issue. And so slowing down the process, and I create a lot of structure around the communication so that by definition, it's slower. And even the act of having to mirror back what your partner has just said will slow down that limbic brain that wants to be reactive and wants to get emotional to the point where you can really stay with your partner as they tell you something important. Um, And so I call it going over the bridge. It's like crossing that space between us and really landing fully present in the world of the other so that you can begin to really not only hear, but allow that message to go all the way down to your heart. 
And neuroscientists tell us it takes six times as long to feel the emotional importance of a communication than it does for our brain to simply pick up the words. So if we don't slow it down, you end up with just a tamer argument, which doesn't actually build any kind of resolution or any kind of intimate connection. Mm. Oh, so important with what you just shared. Would you say it's almost, it's close to impossible to have effective, you know, solution-based conversations when both partners or one is activated in a stress response and not slowing down? Yeah, you know, so, so here's what we know. The reactive part of our brains is really called the old brain system. It's very useful. Its function is to help us to survive. So when our partner is disagreeing with us or saying something that we don't want to hear or saying something that is triggering some older memory from our childhood, for example, that part of the brain goes online and kicks the cortex offline. And the cortex is the part of the brain that we need to be adult and to be mature. It's the part that has words and comprehension. It's the part that can remember that, oh, this is my partner. I love them. I actually would like to stay married to this person. That part of the brain goes offline. And what we get instead is that protective, I call it the survival suit, you know, what we have learned to do in danger. And, you know, we evolved because we were looking for saber-toothed tigers to jump off the path and eat us. We have now evolved to picking up emotional danger. However, we react the exact same way. So whether it's a saber-toothed tiger or your partner rolling their eyes, you still bring the same amount of reactive energy to that situation. So this is how couples end up really in a, in a fighting mode. Now, some people don't outwardly fight. They're not fighters. You know, in the animal world, we're mammals, right? So in the animal world, we can fight or we can flee, we can freeze, or we can submit. Those are the four choices mammals have. And it's not a conscious choice. I personally am a fighter. If I get threatened in any way, I get louder, I have more words, I want to pursue it. I'm not going to let you go to sleep until we fix this thing. That's half the population. The other half of the population, their energy constricts when they're upset or when something feels threatening. They're like turtles. They just go in the shell. They want to avoid the conflict. They don't want to talk. They lose their words. And they like nothing better than to go to sleep and not deal with this thing. So what we have found is that these opposite energy survival suits marry each other. So you'll have one person who's kind of big, one person who's shrinking away, the bigger one gets, the more the other shrinks away, the more the other shrinks away, the bigger the other one gets. And this creates a very dysfunctional pattern. And most of the couples who come in who say they're having communication problems, what they're having is an emotionally reactive pattern that doesn't work. Mm. Yes. And what the the memory that's coming to mind is when I used to assist you at your amazing couples events and retreats. And at the end, I want you to share um, about some upcoming retreats. But I remember when you asked a, a big room full of couples who, who were there to do the work to for the tigers or for the in partners who would get big to go to one side and then the, the other partner, the turtles you call them who would pull in naturally would go to the other and 
they just got so excited to be with others who have the same survival suit as them. It was so validating to be like, oh my goodness, just you think your partner should stop talking to that feels good. Like I'm not alone. And that it speaks to individual differences and the power of how we're all wired so differently. And that it's very normal to attract a partner with a very different sensory system, but it can be very stressful if you're not aware of the differences. Yes, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. once you can see, and, and you know, this has to do with going to the heart of the matter, like really understanding what is embedded in that less consciously aware limbic brain, the old brain system. Because if you don't deal with that, then what you do is you just keep going around and around the tip of the iceberg. You know, so say a couple comes in and the therapist says, well, how was your week? And then they tell you about the fight of the week. And then, you know, sometimes therapists want to mediate. They want to make sure that problem goes away. That's nice. The problem is by next week, they will come in with a new problem of the week. Why? Because what's fueling that irritation or that annoyance is not being addressed. So the problems will just keep popping to the surface. And, you know, I think a lot of couples therapists do that. And then week after week, there's a talking about the problem, talking about the problem, talking about the problem until the couple goes, oh, couples therapy doesn't work. We're still fighting. So it's got to be more than just talking about the problems. I don't believe that couples therapy is problem solving. I think it's much deeper than that. It really is about healing. It's about taking a look at the places in childhood where we initially learned how to survive. What is it we were learning as children? Because whatever we learned that helped us to survive, our brain will hold on to because it worked and because it was useful. So it will keep driving our behaviors and driving our emotions for decades to come. Then we get married to an intimate other who begins to trigger us in very similar ways as our family of origin. And we apply the same survival mechanisms. You know, as a child, if my parents were a little bit neglectful, I wasn't getting the attention or the love that I needed. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe they were working. Maybe somebody was an alcoholic. Maybe they were too busy fighting each other to pay attention to me. And I learned the way to get my needs met was to kick and scream. You can bet I'm going to be a wife who kicks and screams. On the other hand, if kicking and screaming would get you killed as a child, and the best thing to do was to kind of disappear so maybe they wouldn't notice you, you're most likely to be an adult in your marriage who would rather avoid conflict, right? So it's not good or bad. It's just what it is. And you need to help couples understand what's really at play here so that they can consciously begin to change their dynamic. And then you have to teach them some better tools. It's not enough to say, don't do that anymore. You have to show them what to do instead. Yes. And I'm hearing it's like a profound shift from solution, problem solving, fix it to slowing down, healing. But also I see a lot of compassion in the exercises that you do with your couples because it's not your, your partner won't change instantly once you find out why they are the way they are. 
but this compassion is like a gift that spreads in that space like you were talking about the space between where you just have a a softer understanding of why they are the way they are that is such a beautiful way to language that Kendra and it reminds me when I when I was in graduate school I had a professor who said insight does not create change and that has always stuck with me because first of all, it was very bad news because I was a graduate student and I thought if I could just help people understand what's going on, they'll change it. And that was very naive because he was right. Insight in and of itself does not create change. Not the kind of change we're talking about, not the deep transformation. And here's why. Insight happens in our cortex. Even as we are fighting with our partner and we are watching ourselves doing all kinds of crazy things, saying things we don't mean, there is a part of our brain, the cortex, that's looking down on that going, what are you doing? Why are you so upset over the salt shaker? (laughs) Or the socks on the floor, right? So, So the insight happens in a part of the brain that is offline while you're having the fight. So the part of the brain we have to appeal to, and you know this from working with children, it's the same thing. You have to appeal to the emotional brain to make the change. Insight happens somewhere else. So how do we appeal to that part of the brain? Now, what we've been told by the neuroscientists is that the limbic brain does not respond to words. It responds to experience and it responds to repetition. So good couples therapy is about creating an experience that's a contradiction to what the limbic brain believes is true. So for example, if a child grows up and what they learn is getting close to somebody isn't safe, that usually gets me in trouble. That has hurt me in the past. And so let's say they avoid intimacy. I mean, they can get married, they can have kids, but real intimacy, gazing into their partner's eyes, making love rather than having sex, mm-hmm. that feels a little frightening, a little dangerous to them, perhaps. Then you create an experience in the office where they are 18 inches apart, they're gazing into each other's eyes, the limbic brain is beginning to relax. The discomfort comes up, their brain starts going, run, this isn't safe, run, this isn't safe. But it is safe. Nothing happens. Their partner's there. I have them say, I'm here. I'm right here for you. The eyes are welcoming. They're inviting. They're beautiful. And the brain gets confused. It's actually called limbic dissonance. The brain gets confused. It's like, well, is this safe or not safe? I'm so confused. It'll pick the present moment over the past memory. And so you can see all of a sudden that neural pathway for intimacy is fearful gets unlocked. And once you've unlocked the emotional brain, you've got a period of time to build some new ones. So we have to be very careful what we build. Now, the people who study these kinds of things have written that the the, the neural pathways stay open about six hours. So here's why I created and do retreats. Because when I get a couple who comes on Friday and they stay all weekend in a very safe, uh, just 
really intensive kind of weekend experience and they don't leave until Sunday, we get two and a half days to transform things. So they do a piece of work, something opens up, it's safe, it's vulnerable. And we don't say time's up, go home, go walk the dog, go play with the kids, go have another argument. We don't do that in a retreat. We go deep, we stay deep, we go deeper, all the while building these new experiences repetitively, because experience and repetition are what actually transform relationship. And they come out Sunday night, sometimes they don't even look the same, Kendra. It's an amazing the kind of transformation you can create in a longer period of time. So about well, pre-COVID, about four times a year, I was taking about five or six couples up to Montecito for this retreat experience. Then COVID happened. But I'm happy to say in September, we're resuming in person for a couple. Exciting. Yes, I'm very excited. I'm going to take five couples this time and uh, five vaccinated couples. And we're going to get going on the retreats again. They're my favorite part of the work. Yeah, I, I have personally heard live testimonies from couples who've been on the retreat and it it was like their eyes were speaking. It's that change, that transformational change that you were talking about earlier. It does not come from the mind. It's a lived felt experience. And you, I think you do somatic work all the time because you, you slow it down. You slow down this very natural pattern that we all have and we all learn to just talk 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 problem 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 you slow it down and you completely give the mind and body a new experience right and that's just beautiful transformational work you are changing lives like it's just it's it's beautiful you know harville Hendricks, who's the father of imago relationship therapy one of the certifications i hold he always says we're changing the planet one couple at a time mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, it's a bold statement, but I think it's true because when one couple cleans up the relational space between them and makes it sacred, their children grow up in functional space. They don't have to develop such thick survival suits. And then they go out and everyone they meet benefits from that as well. So there is kind of a, a swelling of health and wellness that happens from the kind of work that we all do as therapists. And it's it's really exciting to be a part of it. And the thing you said about compassion earlier is so true. I mean, not only do I have compassion for people's childhood stories, but I they really can begin to have compassion and empathy for one another. Because just hearing your partner's childhood story isn't enough. You know, sometimes they're saying, oh yeah, I already knew all of that. But I invite them to hear things and see things that they've heard and seen before, but with new eyes. It's like the French philosopher who says, the voyage of discovery is not in going to new lands, but in going to the familiar with fresh eyes. And when we bring our fresh eyes to our partner and we can literally look over the space and see not only the man, the the partner, the husband who's annoying the crap out of us, but also the little boy who had the experience 
of being bullied or being ignored or being scared. When you can see the little person that's sitting across from you, as well as the big adult who's sitting across from you, you get an awareness and appreciation for the hero's journey that they've been on. And we're all heroes. We're all heroes in our own stories. So when you can really help couples see that, there's no way they can't have empathy and compassion. And that he so profound. And like you were saying, it it absolutely is a domino effect. Mm-hmm. The way if couples heal, it will absolutely change and impact the nervous system of everyone living in the home and how they interact at work. So yeah, work is so important. And as a therapist, I think we are used to couples, to families, individuals reaching out who are in a crisis, like final straw are barely hanging on. So I'm hoping for any couples listening or whoever individuals as well, it's okay. And so important and beneficial to reach out before you get to that place of desperation. There's such a stigma with, with couples therapy. And I really want to break that. It's absolutely true. You know, you know, because you know me that I've done a lot of work in the area of premarital counseling. And it's one of my favorite um, things to do because couples come in and they are in love and they respect each other. They don't have a ton of bad habits yet. And they're smart enough to know that relationship is difficult. It's challenging. And when those initial hormones and chemicals wear off, the ones we get in order to fall in love, when those wear off, we're going to have to do some hard work. And better to have the tools moving forward before they're you know, one step away from divorce court. So I really do love premarital counseling for that reason. And more and more, I'm seeing couples um, come in sooner than later We used to have the statistic, it could still be true, that the average couple waited six years uh, for seeking help. And that's too long. I mean, in that way, you could literally stand anywhere, throw a rock and hit 10 therapists. You know, it's not hard to find people to help you, right? So I hope anybody listening, if, if they feel like, gee, maybe we should do some couples therapy, I hope you'll just make a call and do it because it really is so beneficial. And I think we're all long suffering. You know, we just hold on hoping it's going to get better, praying it's going to get better. Um, And what that usually means is hoping that our partner will morph into somebody that we like better. Uh, You know, that's, that's a pretty fruitless wait because that's not going to happen. You know, (laughs) what what can happen is that you can each begin to take 100% responsibility for that relational space. And, um, and then things change. Yeah, I can only imagine everyone listening that probably resonates a little bit <laughs> too close to home. Yeah, exactly. It's so natural to want to change the people around us, especially our partner. But to, to wrap this all up, I know we can talk a lot. And I actually think it'd be so fun in the future to do one just on premarital counseling, because I know that's another hot topic. Um, but I can imagine for the listeners, who are in relationships, they can identify with feeling like the tiger, like the turtle with that survival suit. So be getting big when they're stressed and needing to like find answers and have the conversation and get the solution or shutting down, needing space, and maybe even becoming a volcano if their partner keeps poking. 
Yeah, I call that a snapping turtle. Snapping turtle. I think I I fall in that category, definitely. So do you have a tool for anyone listening who knows their pattern, but doesn't quite know how to overcome it or what to do? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm a very big proponent of the timeout. Sometimes, you know, we're going to get into that pattern and it's going to be, you know, the limbic brain is going to hijack our better more thoughtful brain. We're going to find ourselves in the middle of it. And we're not going to really be able to bring that down easily. So at that point, when either party recognize that, oh, here we go again, we're on, we're in that thing that never works. You know, as soon as you get to that point, you, whoever can, could call a timeout. Just, I don't like what we're doing here. Let's, let's take a timeout and come back in And I like there to be a set period of time that you're going to come back together because for the person who's the tiger and dying to get in there and solve it, if the turtle says, I don't like this, I'm going away right now, that's going to be experienced as an escalation because now they don't have anybody to argue with. They might feel unimportant, abandoned, maybe rejected that's going to fuel the fire. It's not going to calm anybody down. So I think it has to be agreed upon ahead of time. If we get into that thing that we've identified, and I I ask couples to name it. Sue Johnson in her work calls it the demon dance. Mm. It is a dance and the devil's in there. So that's a good name. But I have a couple who calls it the avocado, you know, whatever works for them. I don't care. So they say, here it comes. Here comes the demon dance. We can feel ourselves ramping up or I can feel myself freezing, right? Whoever notices it calls a timeout. Here we are. It's not, it's not good. Let's take a timeout. We'll come back in one hour. When they come back, if they don't have better tools, they will reenact the fight. So it will become, we get together, we ramp up, we start fighting, we take a time out, we come together, we ramp up, we start fighting, we take a time out. <laughs> so that's no way to live. So when they come back together, they, they really need to do something differently. And the simplest thing is to use the biology of connection. This is not psychology, it's biology. We know that if you pull up two chairs and face each other and you get about 18 inches eye to eye, and gaze softly, not hard stare, but a soft gaze into each other's eyes, the biology will allow the limbic brains to relax. When you gaze into another person's eyes, you see their soul and you don't feel threatened. It's like, oh, there's my partner. And the limbic brain will let go of the survival suit. It will relax, the cortex will kick in and you'll be able to stay in connection. So there's eye gaze. Also in that position, you can hold hands. We know that when you touch skin to skin, you release oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. So you hold hands, you gaze, you take turns speaking. And we also have to be responsible speakers. You know, in Communication 101, they teach you the difference between I statements and you statements. I is always about me. You is usually an accusation. Sometimes people get fancy and they say things like, I feel that you're a jerk. 
That's a very thinly disguised you statement. You know, we have to take responsibility to really say what's true for us. I felt really hurt when that happened to us earlier today. It reminds me of when my mother used to. So it's a conversation that's more about me than it is about you. And you take turns being the listener, being the speaker without interruption, really listening deeply, like we said, needs to be done in the beginning of our talk here today. And so if a couple can just do that, it will break up that cycle of arguing and conflict that they haven't been able to do before. So time out until our limbic brains have come back out of control, our cortex has come back online, we can turn toward one another, we can sit close, we can hold hands, we can take some breaths to relax our bodies because you know when we're tight, we, we hold our breaths. Breathing out allows your shoulders to drop and your body to be nourished for your, for your body to know it's supported by the chair. You can feel the ground beneath you. You hold hands, you gaze softly. Sometimes that's enough, but if you wanna discuss the topic, you take turns and you take responsibility for how you're speaking. If you want to trigger your partner, you know how to do that. But the point here is to get them to listen to you. So say it in a way they can hear. Yeah. Ooh, these are some top notch, top dollar tips. I, so, I mean, it's helpful for me to hear this again for the 20th time, but it's just not, it's not something that comes, I think, instinctive or instinctual for people. They have to learn it. So it's just so good to hear it every time you share about this process. And I always say a happy nervous system is a happy life. Yeah. And what you're talking about is shifting the nervous system to safety and to connection. And sometimes you don't even need to revisit the topic of whatever it is because you feel safe again. So I love that. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, no, you're welcome. What I always say to clients is that this is relatively simple. It's not easy. Perfect. Simple ideas that are hard to implement. And this is where people really sometimes need some assistance. They need a coach to practice the tools with until it becomes instinctual enough. It's like a tool that you want at the top of your tool bag. You've practiced it so much that it's right at the top of your tool bag so that when you need it, when it begins to get heated up with your partner, you can pull it out easily and not be rummaging around in the tool bag going, I know there was something in here I learned and I don't know where it is. You know, you just want it to be instinctive that you, you, just go into deeper listening, mirroring your partner's words, having some validation for what they're saying, especially when you don't agree and having empathy for them. When you can pull that out automatically, it becomes a way of being. It's no longer a tool. It's the way we are together as a couple. And then you can be that way with your children as well. So beautiful, so beautiful. I'm sure you have so many people hooked and at the edge of their seat. So can you share where they can find more about you? And for those interested in the retreat, where they, can they sign up? Yeah. So the best place to find people these days apparently is online. So my website is mkcachero.com. And um, 
I have a very beautiful explanation of the retreat on that website. If you go to the link at the top that says workshops and retreats, the retreat is September 24th through the 26th. I'm taking, as I said, five couples to Montecito. It's a beautiful estate nestled into the hills overlooking the Pacific Ocean. It is really lovely. And the fee, Kendra, includes not only the two and a half days of work and a, and a workbook that I've designed that you can take home with you, of course, and keep working, but also includes private accommodations. Each couple gets a bedroom and a bath privately to themselves in this beautiful home. And we hire a chef to prepare all the meals. So it is, it's a luxury getaway for couples where they will really come home more deeply connected with better tools and a really good um, freshening of the love that brought them together in the first place. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah, all inclusive. And again, I've heard so many couples say just what an amazing, amazing time they had. So it's funny because yesterday this couple registered and um, it's a couple who had come to a retreat about three years ago. And so I called them and I said, gee, you're going to do the retreat again. And they said, yes, because we have grown and changed so much in these past three years that we think it will be like a whole new workshop because we are a whole new couple. And so talk about bringing your fresh eyes to a familiar place, right? I thought that was such a great demonstration of what I try to teach couples to do. So yeah. So beautiful. And um, for those, you know, wondering about the spelling, I'll put your website and all your information in the show notes. So you can go to royawellness.com or slash podcast to find out more about Mary Kay and her offerings and more about Roya. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kendra. It's always such a pleasure to see you. You just uh, really honored me today having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's amazing.